The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, I wasn't really ready for that, um, so thanks for, um, thanks for the surprise. That was a surprise. Um, I said to Andrew earlier this week that, um, that I had a surprise for him, but I wasn't going to tell him what it is, and then he looks at me with this funny look and says, yeah, I got a surprise for you too. Um, so... Uh, it's definitely a surprise, and it really is. Um, it's such an honor to be here. Uh, it's such a cool thing just to, uh, you know, follow those things that, that God says we need to be obedient to. And, and even as we sing things like, you know, I believe you move mountains, you know, you can do it again, things like that, that God is a mountain mover, amen, that, that we have a God that we can talk about all the time, but it's really when the rubber meets the road. It's really when our faith is required to be engaged that it's like, do we really believe what we read about? Do we really believe what we talk about? And, and the, the challenge is always, God, I want to make sure that I'm living out those things that I'm saying. I always feel a certain fear, a certain trepidation about um, things that I get to teach, uh, you know, on Sundays simply because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to come out and go, hey, let's talk about this. Let me bring this up. Let me bring up a bunch of great points and then leave and, you know, not really anchor myself to that. So it really is an honor. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Uh, you know, that, that time goes so, so fast. There's a few of you in here that I remember being part of the, the interview process on this journey 10 years ago. And, um, and man, it really is fun to see what God's doing. Anybody, you know, see Stephen Curtis Chapman, or the, the song, The Great Adventure, that really is what I think of a lot when I think about life. Like, man, I, I believe it's meant to be an adventure and it causes your heart to race at times and it causes you to step out in faith and trust and, and believe that God's gonna do big things. Um, and so it's so fun, even looking back at some of those pictures, I think the hairline's a little higher, a little thinner than it used to be. Uh, a lot more gray for sure coming in on the sides, but uh, I like the shaggy version of Andrew. Anybody else <clears throat> like that? Can we bring that picture back up? I wanna just, come on, look at this. I mean, talk about a body of hair. I'm thinking like, I don't know if that's like Pert Plus or what was going on there, but uh, he's rocking it out. So anyway, hilarious, man, hilarious. <clears throat> well, uh, like, like Andrew had mentioned, we have four kids, Heather and I, and it's been such a crazy journey with them. And I'm gonna jump in by mentioning something that has to do with them. If you got a Bible, um, I wanna encourage you uh, real quick just to turn to Luke chapter five, and we're going to be in a few different places. If you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, that's great as well. Um, around here at the Grove, we use version, and we talk about a Bible reading plan. I bring it up almost weekly, it seems like. Like, hey, reading the Bible, the importance of you reading the Bible together. And so if you have a smartphone and you don't have a Bible app on there, let me encourage you to download the version Bible app. And the, the plan that we're as a church reading together is called the Solid Life reading plan. And so you can subscribe to that and, um, and read it. Our goal is every year to challenge all of us to read through the Bible every single year. And so you can do that. But Luke 5 is where we're going to land here in a moment. But um, this series is called Life Multiplied. And the idea is that out of John 10, 10, Jesus says the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so this whole series really centers around that whole idea that our life is really found in Christ. And what he wants to do is multiply life within us, multiply our ability to live purposefully, our ability to live meaningfully, our ability to follow him. And as I mentioned last week, um, as we were talking about this, one of the things I said is when our will collides with God's will and they're not the same, the goal is that we break. 
The goal is that we surrender. The goal is that we find ourselves on our knees saying, God, I want what you want more than what I want. And the reason that's so important is because that's the example of Jesus who was in the garden of Gethsemane praying and he said, Lord, take this cup from me. Jesus was literally saying to his heavenly father, I don't want to go to the cross. Take it from me. I would rather do something else, Lord, yet I don't want my will. I want your will. And that's really where we've got to find ourselves, that if we're all honest, there are times where what we want and what God wants are not the same thing. Like today, you know, I don't think God is a Rams fan. And so for some of you that have a Rams jersey on, and I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, but if anyone in here happens to have a Rams jersey on, anyone named McNeil or something, sir, you can, there's an exit, see that exit door right there, sir, if you can just make your way right, just kidding, anyway, just teasing, um, because God's into saints. But anyway, okay, we're just going to keep... Seem to keep hammering through the text here today. So um, anyway, let me, real quick, we have four kids. And one of my first memories of of, um, having four kiddos, we had our daughter first. She's Emerson. She's driving now, which is crazy. But um, early on when she was young and she started drinking out of a sippy cup, that sippy cup would get empty. And of course, just like any kid, and what she would do is, is, even without a sippy cup in her hand, if she was thirsty or wanted something to drink, she would do this. And we knew early, early on that that meant, uh uh-oh, she wants something to drink. Or she would do this. She would go like this, meaning she wanted something to eat. And again, nothing profound about that. There are plenty of us in here that have memories of our kids at some point wanting something. And, and, you know, like I said, it started with our first child. Then they get to a point where they can say things. And maybe it's simple, rudimentary words or, or maybe simple, simple sentences. But when they're really young, mommy, come here. You know, things like that. I mean, that's more of a developed sentence for a young kid. Or what's this? Or just point up in the sky like many of our kids have done and go, you know, airplane or whatever. And, and that's, you know, that's what kids do. And then they get a little older and they can say full sentences. And it sounds like something like this. Dad, have you seen my bike? Or I think it's broken. Or, you know, is it time to eat yet? I'm hungry. And then as teenagers, they ask things like this. How in the world do you do this math? And you know what I do? I point to my wife. So, because she went way further in math than I ever did um, in school. But uh, they say things like that. Or you get the, the dreaded question in their angst and emotional turmoil. Why did they break up with me? And you got to navigate through long, long conversations at times that aren't necessarily convenient. The question that I bring up when I say all this is simply this. Why would a child involve a parent in their lives? And the, the, the first answer early on is it's simply a matter of survival. They, they, they're not going to survive without you giving them a sippy cup with something in it. They're not going to survive without you going to the cupboard and getting snacks. They're probably going to starve. And then they get a little bit older and they can say certain things. And there comes a point where what they learn is this. If my parent knows the answer to something then guess what? I can save myself time and energy and confusion and frustration by going to my parents and asking if they know the answer to something that I need. And to me, that's pretty obvious. Here's a question for you. Do we ever really stop learning from our parents? Do we ever really stop learning from our parents? And sometimes those lessons aren't great lessons and we go, boy, I don't want to maybe do it that way. Or they're really great lessons that later on in life, you're an adult, you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s, and you have parents that are getting a little older. But there's always something, I believe, that we can learn from our parents. In fact, the Bible says it in a couple of different places. Job says this, 
Wisdom is found among the aged. That we're always learning from those that have gone before us and in our own families. It would be our parents. Proverbs 23, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Proverbs 23, 22 says this. Listen with respect to the father who raised you. And when your mother grows old, do not neglect her. And none of this is revolutionary. None of this is new information, probably for any of us in the room. And yet, in the same way, as you and I take a look at life through the lens of our faith, we never stop learning from our Heavenly Father. I know a gal right now named Sylvia who's 97 years old. She's frail. She's literally on her deathbed. Uh, we, we actually expected that she would have passed away a, a while back. And then we you know, got a call as a reminder, hey, she's really not doing well and she's lost weight. She's 97. And even still, when we go visit her, I visited her a couple of times this last week and a half. And, and she's not awake and she's laying there. And at one point I was praying and her breathing was, it stopped, and I like say amen going, did she just pass away as I was praying? Like, what does that mean, you know? And, um, and then I look over, and she just turned her head another way, and it's like, oh, good, she's not dead yet. Anyway, so, so but, but my point with Sylvia is when I've visited, she's, she's, not, she's not awake. When others have visited, I have heard, because I've, I didn't experience it, I have heard that she's clapping and singing songs, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? But what I love is that she jokes around with us and she'll say like this, you know, Ryan's one of our pastors. You know, Ryan's the cute one. I like Ryan. I'm like, okay, well, is it because I'm shorter? I mean, what's the deal? But um, she's super sweet. What I love though is every time we visited her when she can have a conversation, and today it's less and less, but when, when she can have a conversation, she's always talking about something that God has taught her, some lesson that she's experienced over 97, think about that, 97 years of life. It's absolutely incredible. We never stop learning from our Heavenly Father. We often say this. We believe that God has the answers. How many of you would say, I agree. I believe God has answers for me. Okay, five, six, eight of us. Okay, um, okay. Th- th- that he knows he has better wisdom or the right way to go about life. So why wouldn't we, and this is what I want to talk about today, why wouldn't we stop and pray? Why wouldn't we stop and read the scriptures and allow God to impart to us the wisdom that we say that he has? And so today I want to talk about this conversation regarding prayer and, and uh, reading the scripture. Because in this series, Life Multiplied, I want to take a look at, at, at some scripture that, that helps us understand this whole dynamic. And the first one, and then I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it, is Luke 5. And it's a, it's a pretty short verse. Luke 5 verse 16 says this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. God, today, our prayer together is that your spirit would work in, in the midst of all of our hearts, in the midst of all that's going on in our lives, whether life's just kind of going like it does or there's been curveballs and things thrown our way that, that, that feel sometimes overwhelming, that, God, we would lean in to you, that we would trust as we think about life multiplied, that we would trust that as we take a look at scripture in a devotional life, that as we take a look at, at prayer and involve having conversations with you in our personal lives, that you can multiply the time that we have to go about our days doing other things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the things we understand about Jesus is, yes, he's absolutely the savior of the world, that we talk about a life of surrender, that we talk about our need to give our lives to Jesus, that that's where you and I find forgiveness, and that's huge. 
Because that, that's really the core of why Jesus came to this earth. But another thing to understand about Jesus is that we believe he was the perfect human example of how to live life, of how to, to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And since Jesus is our perfect example, when you look at Luke 5.16, and we're going to be in other places, but Luke 5.16, it says that Jesus often withdrew. That it's really a picture of an ongoing need for him to get away. There are different times when he encounters the disciples and they're having conversations that he realizes the crowd is pressing in and life is crazy. And he says to them a few different times in the Gospels, let's go get away. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. Hey, let's get in the boat and get away from the crowd. And, and, and in our lives, we need to be reminded that if Jesus often withdrew, how much more so do we? And, and yet, here's what we do. Do you understand how busy my life is? Do you understand all that's on my agenda? Do you understand all the things I have to check off? Do you understand how early I have to be somewhere and how late I end up being there and how much is on my plate? I've got kids and practices and appointments and we, we all can say those things. But let me ask you this. When you look at the Gospels, do you see what's going on with Jesus? Do you see that, that in a short amount of time as he begins to teach the crowds, that they begin to follow him, that they begin to press in on him, that they begin to literally, at one point when Jesus gets into a boat and goes to another side of the lake, of Gennesaret, it says that the crowds literally ran around the lake to the other side so that when he got there, there was a gigantic crowd. Anybody else ever had that problem? Right, and so what we do is we go, yeah, but in modern day, my life, can you imagine the life of Jesus and how crazy it really was? That over and over and over, people were pressing in. That over and over and over, there were points where he couldn't even get through a crowd because everybody was pressing in. That's where we find a woman that needed to be healed, it says, of an issue with blood. And, and all of a sudden, she presses in and, and just touches him and is healed. And he's like, whoa, whoa. who just touched me? And you know what the disciples say? Lord, there's a massive crowd, probably everybody. Because that's constantly what Jesus was having to deal with. And yet, what does it say? Jesus often withdrew. As you fast forward from Luke chapter 5 to Luke 22, it says this. Jesus often went to the Mount of Olives because that was his custom. You know why the, the, the soldiers who came to arrest Jesus knew where to find him? Because that's where he went frequently by himself or at times with the disciples to pray, to, to lean into God, to, to talk to his heavenly father about all that's going on. And he knew, just like you and I know inside, that busyness takes its toll. Come on, we're all familiar with that. That busyness takes its toll. And what it comes down to is a word that we're not really good at understanding, but the word is soul care. If you want a great book, by the way, there's one called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, and it's a great read, but it's about how you and I live such crazy lives that we're so busy on the outside trying to perform and try to climb ladders and trying to be successful that we miss what's going on on the inside. And if we're not careful, what happens is rot from the inside is things on the inside begin to get out of place. Our marriage isn't quite what it used to be, but you know, it'll get better eventually. I'll get to that eventually. Raising our kids and the time and energy it takes to raise kids. Well, I, I know they need it, but I've got all these things and I'll get to that, I will. And over and over and over, we look at all the ways outwardly 
to be successful only to miss what's going on in our soul. And so prayer is a discipline that, that, let me just be honest with you, even amazing individuals of prayer that would spend an hour, two, three hours of prayer a day say this, I've never been good at prayer. Can we all just start in the same place? We're, we're not good at prayer. We're not amazing at prayer. We're not champions of prayer, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that's an excuse to not involve setting aside time, carving out areas where I'm not going to be busy and crazy in order to stop and talk to my heavenly father. See, what, what, what does prayer do? And I'm going to go through these uh, rather quickly, but one of the things that we find, and you see this in scripture with Jesus, is it refocuses us. If you're taking notes, write that down. One of the things prayer does is it refocuses us. It helps us move from a worldly perspective where you and I can get caught up in, as Jesus says, the snares of this world, the cares that entice us. Remember the, the parable of the soils, anybody? If you remember the parable of the soils, Jesus talks about a farmer goes out to sow seed and he scatters some among the path, some among the rocks, some among the, you know, the, the, the shallow soil, some among good soil, but, but only 25% of what's spread ends up producing anything. Why? Because there's other things that pull us away. And so what prayer does as we come into a place where we can be silent, as we come into a place that isn't overwhelmed with the busyness of our schedule, is allows us through the work of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says lives inside of us to deal with what our priorities really ought to be, what our focus really ought to be, what really matters. At one point, Jesus, it says, spent the night in prayer. And the reason we find was because he was, he was literally going to pick the next day, he was going to pick the disciples. Once again, if Jesus at times needs to spend time away to refocus, how much more do you and I? Prayer, number one, refocuses. The second thing, it invites the Holy Spirit to check our hearts. And I know we can say, well, isn't that the same as the one you just mentioned, refocuses? But I want to encourage you, and I love how the psalmist says, I lie in my bed at night and the Lord searches my heart. That for you and I, there's something about the need in prayer to invite the Holy Spirit. And I do it almost every Sunday when I speak to, to stop and pray. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to reveal to us, to show us what's going on and where we need to be obedient. Because that's what John, I believe, chapter 9 teaches. That the Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit deals with issues. The Holy Spirit challenges us to, once again, when our will and God's will are not the same, for us to break. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what we want, that, that, or what, what he wants. And that you know, gets to the, the third point. It energizes us to choose God's plan over ours. Anybody ever experienced a, a time of prayer? And when I say time, I don't mean five hours or overnight necessarily. Some of us have spent time in prayer where we felt like that was necessary and those were great moments. But have you ever experienced a time of prayer where you felt weak, where you felt depleted, where you felt, felt you know, even tempted or enticed to do something you shouldn't do? And you really focus in prayer and go, God, here's how I feel. Here's what's going on. And almost like Jesus, Lord, I want your will, not mine. Have you ever come out of those prayer times and felt stronger? Come on, anybody in here? 
And I'm not trying to stir you. I'm going, please raise your hand. But there is something about spending that time in prayer that when you and I are tempted to follow our own agenda, which by a raise of hands, how many of us feel tempted to follow our own agenda even though we know it's not necessarily God's all the time? Yeah, can everybody just put your hand up real quick. Help your neighbor put their hand up, okay? That's exactly the truth. Every one of us at times struggles with what we want over what God wants. And sometimes it's small little things and sometimes it's monstrous things. But there's something about in prayer, and when I say that, bringing these things to God, Lord, I feel tempted today. Lord, I feel weak today. Lord, here's what's in my heart. Here's what's going on. Here, here, here's the agenda that I have for my day. And there are things about that that, that, that I know are not good. And whether you want to name those or not, prayer is talking to God about those things that you and I care about. Here's what's going on. And whether you want to think about, again, relationships, marriage, the pull to, to, to do something you shouldn't do outside of the, the bounds that God has created in a great marriage, or, or you, you, you struggle to, to head over to the casino and, man, I just, it's just fun. I just love it. And yet you're losing money and you're finding yourself more and more wanting to go thinking, man, I know I lost last weekend, but this weekend I can win. Whatever, I mean, there, there's, again, we can go over a million different things of ways that you and I are tempted. And yet it's finding ourselves in that place of prayer going, God, I need your strength here. I love how we just read Job. We're reading Job in the reading plan right now. And we just read, I think it was yesterday, it talks about what wisdom is. That for you and I to live in wisdom, knowledge of the Holy One being understanding, to, to keep ourselves from sin is to walk in understanding. And four, the last thing about prayer, and then we're going to move to, to the scriptures, is this. Prayer increases our ability, or excuse me, our availability to God throughout the day. There's something about it. I think morning is a, a good time. And I know for some of you, mornings, I got you know, friends that, that they're reading the Bible because I can see what they're reading. They're reading the Bible like 4 a.m. Like, Man, they beat me to it every day because I don't read at 4. I usually read somewhere between 7 and 9. But, but I, I look at this, this idea that for you and I to spend some time in the morning going, God, here I am. And I realize that we're not talking about a specific amount of time. And I'm always hesitant to say, you know, if you would carve out fill in the blank, and I would leave it like that. Carve out, you fill in the blank. And, and, and maybe it's going, you know what, I'm going to give 10 minutes just to, just to bring up to God, here's my schedule today and my family today, and here's some things I know of that concern me, and here's some people I love that are going through whatever, and, you know, Lord, would you be the deliverer? Would you be the one who guides? Would you, to, to carve out that time, whatever it might be, if it's 10 or 50 or whatever, 30 or whatever it might be. Because, listen, when we talk about life multiplied, it's believing that, that when we carve out that time to focus in our devotional life on the Lord, that he multiplies the rest of the time throughout our day. See, the beauty of doing what God asks you and I to do is that I believe, and I've seen this many times, it expedites our ability to have an effective day. And I know that sounds so like, oh, that's a great pitch, but it is true that the idea that God wants to give us life abundantly in Christ is believing that as I carve out time, to read the scriptures, to pray that he can give me greater discernment on how to handle problems I'm going to face later on. That he can give me a greater grace to navigate a situation that would normally send me sideways and then I got to go spend hours cleaning up the mess. Anybody? That, that what God can do if we draw near and seek him first is help us navigate the rest of our day because we're sensitive 
to the work of the Spirit in our lives. Prayer is talking to God about our cares and burdens, believing that he's going to provide an answer. And every now and then in my life, very rarely in 27 years of following Christ now, I feel like it's like an audible, hey, Nick, do this. But oftentimes, as I look back on my day or days or week, I can see where because I carve out that time, he can expedite answers and ways to navigate things that don't take as much time as it would trying to do it in my own strength. And that's the point I want to make for all of us because we're all busy. We all have schedules, agendas, appointments, responsibilities, tasks, all of it. And yet what it comes down to is trusting. Let me take a moment here as I'm running out of time and and talk about the the, the Bible reading because when we say devotional life, I really just took on these two. We could talk about worship. We could talk about fasting. We could talk about other things and those are great things, but I really feel like the anchor to a great devotional life really is prayer and reading scripture really to begin with. And, And like I said, we say it all the time to read through the Bible. Read it every single year is a great habit to get into. But for all of us, why is it so important? And it's not separate from prayer. But I believe one of the first ways that you and I can know God's will and know God's voice in our lives is reading scripture. That we can wait on the Holy Spirit and we can go, God, just show me and and however you want to do it. But I believe that as we pair prayer with reading scripture, that there are things that jump off the page. You ever been there? When you're reading the Bible and and it's just kind of mundane, you're kind of just going through it, and then all of a sudden you read something and go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's for today. That's for what I was experiencing earlier. That's what I'm going into. God, thank you for, for that encouragement. And so the idea for you and I of reading Scripture is learning God's voice, his plan, or his design through a medium already given us, through an avenue he's already given us. I always get concerned when you talk to followers that that are learning to follow Jesus or following Jesus and they lean on the Holy Spirit and they say things, well, I believe God. And you go, well, that doesn't even pair with scripture. You ever been there? You have a conversation with somebody or maybe you're in that place where you go, I just believe this is what God has for me. Well, I just feel like this is what God is doing. And sometimes I hear people that are well-meaning say something that doesn't even pair with scripture. It's like, whoa, 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 this is really, I would put it this way, our first line of defense, our first line of obedience is looking at the scriptures and realizing that over and over, God has given us a design for how to live, for things to enjoy and, and, and see it, it become exponential, life multiplied in our lives. But he's also said that there are all kinds of things that you and I need to run away from. And without reading the scriptures, how do we even know? Oh, well, I just talked to God about it. And that's great. Pray about it. But be aware that I believe the primary avenue or medium that God has given you and I to follow and be obedient to him starts with his word. And so to read the scriptures, let me just a couple of things, and I don't always bring up a bunch of points, but today I just happen to have them. The first thing is I think it keeps us aware of of pitfalls, of sin, of things that will trip us up. That, that we would do wise to avoid. There's lists in the New Testament that Paul gives us as he's writing to young churches going, hey, you guys, love what's happening. Heard this is going on. This is great. Keep praying, all these things. But by the way, I heard about some of these things. Stay away from them. And there's all kinds of things from adultery to gossip to slander to, to backbiting to you know stealing, all kinds of things that he gives us. The psalmist in one, Psalm 119 
verse 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? Anyone know it? I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. It goes back to what we read throughout that entire, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It's a long one. I think it's like 150 verses, something like that. But every one of them is a couplet that has to do with you and I living according to the word, according to his commands, his statutes, his decrees, his word, all that stuff. But we hide it in our heart that we might not sin against the Lord. The second thing is this. It removes excuses for our disobedience. I could sit down in a meeting and we could talk about what's going on and I could tell you, hey, you know, here's some things you're talking about, but, but boy, you need to not do that. The Lord doesn't want that. And you can walk away and go, that was fine. You know, I'm sure that's probably true. But what I love about Hebrews 4, and if you're taking notes, you definitely should write these verses down. Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active. See, what I'm saying today, just in my own language, is is words. And I pray and I hope that they're the right words. But at the end of the day, more importantly than anything I'm saying, is things that you're going to read in the scriptures. And when Hebrews 4.12 says it, it says, For the word of God is living and active. There's something about the Holy Spirit coming alongside the scriptures that God has given us that empowers us to realize what God wants and what God doesn't want. And it goes on, it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And this is a weird one to understand, but I'm going to explain it briefly. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And we go, what is that about? You can think of an actual knife cutting through into the bone, into the marrow, into the deepest part. But the idea is, on a spiritual level, that the word of God cuts to the deepest parts of our hearts, even things that we're trying to hide from other people. Even things that we're trying to get away with deep in the recesses of our own little world that nobody apparently even knows about. And the writer of Hebrews says, as you and I read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, hey, there's something about what's going on there in your life that you can't just read that and check it off as a devotional reading. The Holy Spirit says, stop and deal with that because your life isn't matching up. So when, when the writer says that in Hebrews 4.12, he goes on, he talks about the joints and marrow, soul and spirit, but it says this, it judges the thoughts, the inner life, the attitudes of the heart, the things that you can be saying, hey, good to see you today, glad you're here, wherever you might be. And in your mind, you're going, I don't care that you're here and I'm just busy doing whatever. You can think all kinds of thoughts. Oh, I see you coming and I'm gonna greet you and say hi, whatever. See, the writer of Hebrews says, What God does is he gets to the inner part, gets to the deep stuff, gets to those things that only you know you're trying to get away with. It removes excuses for our disobedience. And I love verse 13, Hebrews 4. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who must we give account. And then finally, and I think this is a great verse to memorize, which I always encourage scripture memory, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It equips you and I to live purposefully, to not look back on life and realize we've squandered it in the wrong things. All scripture is God-breathed. And I love the message version, which is what I gave uh, for the media. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us 
truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and I love this, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. That's what the scriptures do. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 are great verses to put to memory, reminding ourselves to how to live God's way. As I said in the opening, as we were growing up, we were constantly inviting our parents into our world. Dad, how do I do this? Mom, what's this about? And whether it's when we're younger, or as we get a little bit older, we get into our teen years, we involved because they could help us see more clearly. They could help us discern better than we can. And sure, there are plenty of times as they get into the teenage years where you're like, I hope they're hearing this message today. But even still, it's, it's understanding what we don't and offering answers that help us. And that's the nature of our Heavenly Father. That He has wisdom you don't have. That He can lead you in ways that you don't get yet. That He can help you grow and mature and walk this journey without becoming ineffective and looking back going, I'm wasting time. Life multiplied, I believe, is this purpose that God has placed in us and how different our lives would look if we stopped to pray, if we stopped to read, if we stopped to trust that what God has and his answers are providing life abundantly. Will we trust that he can multiply our time if we would carve out time to read and to pray and to invite him into our world? God, today, in a world where we are busy, in a world where it's easy to kind of set these things aside. And, and it's not about living in guilt. It's not about, well, we never measure up. I love how the, the great prayers in, in the world that I've read have said, I've never been amazing at prayer. I just do it. I never feel like it's super effective. I just, I just make it a habit. And for reading scripture, there are plenty of portions of the Bible, even as I stand up here as a pastor, that I'm going, boy, I sure don't get that. That even as we read right now in Revelation, in the reading plan, what in the world is all this stuff? What is going on? And yet it's trusting that your Holy Spirit is giving us insight, is steering our lives, is revealing to us certain things that matter. And it's not just for something 2,000 years ago. It's something that applies to us today. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit, God, to, to, to convict us, not just to walk out of here going, I went to church. Not just to say, I attended a service, but Lord, to literally allow you to bring a conviction that says, what does it look like for me to carve out a window of time to draw near to you? Because ultimately, it's trusting that you have what's best for us. Not always what's easiest, not always what's funnest, but God, you have what's best. However, I believe that there in some ways, you're waiting for us to stop and bring you into the equation, bring you into our world in a better way than, well, I'm a believer, well, I've surrendered, but that, God, you can multiply our energy and our time and our lives if we would stop and go, you know what, I'm going to trust as I read and pray that you're going to do something here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.